Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Everybody get some pancakes? You lose an hour of sleep and we want to carb you up so you can sit here and fall asleep while I'm talking. Isn't that awesome? That's just such a good formula for success, I think. No, they're really good. Uh, when my family relocated here um, a couple years ago, good friends of ours gave us a one-year membership to Connor Prairie. And if you've never been to Connor Prairie, you should check it out. For those of you who have been, you, you know what Connor Prairie is all about, right? It's like a trip back in time. It's back in the 1800s, and there are, at Connor Prairie, there are literally hundreds of paid staff and volunteers that dress up in 1800-ish garb to take you back in time. And when you're there, when you're walking through the little town, you can go to the blacksmith shop and watch them make horseshoes and nails. You can go to the potter's house, and they're making bowls and plates and cups and all those things. And it's really impressive. And I think the thing that's so impressive about it is of all the hundred people, all of the hundreds of people that are involved, they're all bought into the mission. They want to make your experience at Connor Prairie special. And so they're, they're bought in. They're all about it all the time. But I, I just want to let you know, there's one girl that we came in contact with there that stands above and beyond all the rest of them. I don't know this young lady's name. I'm going to guess that her name is Mary. That was Jesus's mom's name. And so if you're going to make up a name, Mary seems like a good one to go with. But this young lady, Mary, was at the Loom House. And when we walked in, there was a group of about 30 of us ranging in age from 5 to 85. And all 30 of us were just captured by her presentation. We were all leaning in. She was funny. She was engaging. And she was, I think she was weaving something with her fingers, but there was a giant loom behind her. And every time you asked her a question, she had the answer and she was making jokes. And if you were, were to close your eyes, you would think that she was in her mid to late 20s. But the longer I looked at Mary, I thought, I don't she just doesn't seem very old. And so I asked the question you are never, ever, 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 ever supposed to ask a lady. I just couldn't help myself. I said, Mary, I got to know, how old are you? And she kind of sheepishly looked at the ground and everybody there is thinking the same thing. And she said, I'm 11. Guys, I'm telling you, yeah, audible gasp. I would hire this girl tomorrow to do anything, anything. If I worked at Connor Prairie, I would have, I would make commercials and Mary would just be talking about Connor Prairie. Mark my words, she will be running Connor Prairie one day. She was just so bought in to the mission. And here's what's crazy. You know this, at 11, she can't get paid to work there, right? She is just a volunteer, not just a volunteer. She's a volunteer, but she's so bought in. I mean, it just, we were talking about her at the dinner table this week and all of our kids were sharing stories about her. That's how impactful she was. Isn't it cool when you see normal everyday people, they're, they're just doing their thing. They're in their element. And you're like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And I bet you've been to a restaurant before and you've had a waiter or a waitress. And you're thinking, man, they're so good. They could run this place. Or maybe you've had a teacher or a professor that took the classroom environment and they went above and beyond to make it just better than anything you've ever seen, right? Just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And today, as we continue in our series called Sent Through the Book of Acts, we're gonna look at an, uh, at an ordinary person that God used in pretty extraordinary ways. And as we've been going through the book of Acts recently, what we've been learning about is how the early church was formed, how it functioned, and how it grew. And, and what we've learned in the first four chapters is that Jesus promised to start a church, but he told his disciples, his first followers, he said, I'm gonna pray to, I'm gonna ask my father to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's gonna come, and then I'm gonna send you into the world to make disciples everywhere you go all the time. And that's exactly what we've seen taking place in these first four chapters. Everywhere they go, they make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And, and here's what's cool. These people aren't just following Jesus. 
They're learning how to share their faith in very bold ways. And time and time again, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us the church continued to grow and explode in growth. And, and chances are, if you're familiar with this story, you know the names of some of the people in this story. Uh, Luke tells us, the author of Acts tells us that two of those men in particular are Peter and John. And we talked about Peter and John last week. Steve kind of walked through this story of Peter and John in Acts 4, where they were walking around, they were sharing the gospel, they were telling people about Jesus, but they were also doing miraculous signs and wonders. And when you think about it, it just makes sense that guys like Peter and John would be able to do miraculous signs and wonders, right? I mean, Jesus had handpicked them. Jesus was their life coach and mentor for three and a half years. And so if anybody could do these things, it would be these guys. And this week, I was wondering to myself, I wonder if I had been one of them, could, could I have done the same thing? Or was there something special about them? Because it would be easy to think that eh, they were just special in some way. But the truth is, they were normal. They were everyday people. In fact, the people that knew Peter and John best couldn't figure out how they were doing what they did. The religious leaders of the day were boggled. And in Acts 4.13, we talked about this last week, this is what they said. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If these guys had a resume, all it would say, schooling, zero, three and a half years with Jesus. That's, that's the only thing they had on their resume. And so the words that were used to describe them were ordinary and unschooled. Now, just a question. Have any of you ever felt ordinary or unschooled when it comes to living out your faith in Jesus on a daily basis? I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I hate to admit it. I, I feel that way all the time, right? Just I'm, I'm ordinary. There's nothing really special about me. And when we hear words like ordinary and unschooled, it's tempting for us to think that we hear words like inadequate and untrained, but that's not what those words mean. Ordinary and unschooled just means normal, everyday people that were committed to living on this mission that Jesus had given them, and, and they were just like the rest of us. And today, as we jump into Acts chapter 6, we're going to meet a man who has a lot in common with, with you and I, more so than we have in common with Peter and John, because Peter and John were hand-selected by Jesus. But the guy we're going to look at today was not. He, he might not have ever even known Jesus. And so I want you to think about that. This guy, we have a lot in common with him. And, and his biggest qualification is he was normal and he was just available. He was available to do whatever God would need him to do. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. You can swipe there or click there now on your phone or tablet. That's page 762 in the Bibles around the room. But listen to how Luke begins Acts chapter 6 verse 1. He says this, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this is really important for us to know. The church was only a few months old at this point in time. And we know that when the church launched, it launched immediately with 3,000 people. And, and Luke tells us here that the number of disciples was continuing to grow, which is really exciting. In three chapters, Luke talks over and over again about how the Holy Spirit moves and the church grows. And if you've ever been part of a growing organization, it's pretty fun, isn't it? There's lots of exciting things that, that, that are happening, but you also know that as you grow quickly, what else do you get? You get friction and, and you get tension. And the friction that we see in the early church that was bubbling up was that certain widows were not being cared for. Now, in Jewish culture, 
it was, and it still is to a degree, it was virtuous for a Jewish person to die in the land of Israel so they could be buried there. And so what you would see happen is Jews from all over the world would move into or around Jerusalem to spend their final days on earth there so they could be buried. But what that meant was they would leave behind their widows to fend for themselves, which is really kind of sad when you think about it. I mean, there was an inordinate number of, of widows wandering around. Now, at this point in time in, Jewish, in church history, the church, everyone in the church was Jewish. And there were two groups of Jewish people. There were Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews. And, and Hebraic Jews would have been born in or around Palestine. And they would have probably thought of themselves as, as super Jews. They were born there and they, they were raised there. Uh, they were OGs. If you don't know what an OG is, it's a good thing. Somebody called me an OG recently and I, I, th- I thought, I think that's good, right? So have a young person explain it to you. But they were OGs. They were just, they, were, they had been there first. But then you have your Hellenistic Jews, your Greek Jews. Now they were Jewish too, but their parents had lived outside of Israel. So they, they were Jewish, but they were from out here and they had to move in. So they had been influenced by the Greek world and they spoke a different language. And even though both of these groups were Jewish, there was this debate on, well, well who's, really more, who's really more Jewish? Who's better than the other? And, and I don't know if Hebraic Jews had a chant. I don't think they did. But I, I think if they did, it might have sounded something like this. We love Jesus. We're real, real world Jews. We love Jesus. Bless your heart. One guy from the first service says, we love Jesus. We're real Jews. We love Jesus. How about Jew? Which I thought was pretty clever too, right? But the deal was, they're like, oh, bless your heart. You're just not as Jewish as we are. Now, take a step back. That sounds pretty petty, right? I mean, if you're Jewish, you're Jewish. Why does it matter where you, where you grew up? And we live in Hamilton County, Indiana. It's not like we ever compare ourselves to other people, right? Hey, pause the podcast for a sec. We all know that in Carmel, we're a little bit better than, well, basically everybody everywhere in the world, right? Not just the people in Noblesville, but everywhere. Now, we laugh nervously because that's a thing, right? And so it was a thing in the early church. It's just something that we all feel. And in the early church, there were cultural barriers. There were language barriers. There were barriers about who's who when it comes to widows getting, getting fed. And so look at how the early church solves this problem. Verse 2 says this, so the 12. Now, if you don't know the 12, the 12 are men like Peter and John and these other 10 men that Jesus had hand-selected to lead the church. That's who these 12 are. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. Now, something that's really important for us to note here is that the church was growing so fast that the work had to be shared. It was not possible for these 12 men to do all of the work. And so Peter and John, along with the other 12, here's what they did. They empowered the people of the church to solve this problem. And the problem was that widows weren't being fed. And it might sound like Peter and John and and their buddies are kind of downplaying the importance of feeding widows or they're, they're avoiding a side gig of being a waiter at a nursing home. That's not the case. What they're doing is they're saying, this is really, really, really important work. And so we want to empower all of you to choose people from among you that can handle the funds of the church so that all the needs can be met, no matter how Jewish someone is. This is so important. You pick people that can do it. And they empowered 
the people of the church to serve one another. And apparently it was a really good idea. Look at, how, look at what Luke says in verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, along with a bunch of other guys whose name I struggle to pronounce. In verse six, it says this, they presented these men to the apostles, that's the 12, who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the people of the church did what the leaders of the church had empowered them to do. And it was a good thing. They prayed for them, they blessed them. And then look at verse seven. Now pay attention to this. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now we gotta pay really important attention to these details because we would just run past this, but Luke tells us some really important things. The church continued to grow rapidly again, right? The leaders of the church empowered the people of the church to go be the church, and the response was, it continued to grow. And in this case, widows were being taken care of and, and big things were happening. They were growing rapidly. But did you also notice that Jewish priests started coming to the faith? The role of a Jewish priest, the job of a Jewish priest was to help people learn to be more and more and more Jewish, not to follow Jesus. It was the opposite of what they were supposed to do. But it's a fun, isn't it funny how you start to serve people in really simple ways in your community and there's shock waves and people start to notice, man, God is up to something here. Now, just so you can get a handle on this, and I'm not really even being funny when I say this, but these Jewish priests converting, it would be like a Purdue fan selling all of their black and gold and saying, give me the cream and crimson. I'm an IU fan now. And if that happened, you would think, man, God is moving in amazing ways, right? <laughs> I'm really, I'm kind of not even being funny though, because that just doesn't happen. And it, it didn't happen. Jewish priests weren't supposed to do that. But God was moving in very powerful ways. And so if there's one thing that we can learn from the early church, it's simply this. Sent people serve people. Sent people serve people. It's what Jesus modeled for us to do. It's what the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are empowered by the Spirit. You are sent on mission to make disciples and to serve people. It's just what sent people do. We serve people. And when sent people serve people, God does things that only God can get the credit for. Now, the 12 church leaders empowered the people of the church to select a subset of leaders to do this task. And here's the thing. We don't know anything about these guys. We know their names. We don't know how old they are. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how many kids they had. We, we don't know what they did for a living. We just know they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were available, and apparently that's all that God requires for any one of us to have an impact in his kingdom. Filled with the Spirit and available to move. And Luke goes on to tell us about one of these men in verse eight, a guy named Stephen. Listen to what Luke says. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, if you were gonna get one sentence in all of the New Testament, wouldn't you want that to be the one written about you? Now, Jerry was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed unmistakable things that proved that God was with him and his friends. I'll take that sentence any day of the week. If that's all you ever knew about me, I'd be good. But I want you to think, what was it about Stephen? That, what was he called to do? He was called and equipped to feed widows. And apparently he took that task very seriously and he was very faithful to it to the point that God said, I'm gonna use you in ways you would never 
ever, ever imagine. And people started noticing and people started coming back to God and knowing Jesus personally. Now, I want you to travel back in time in your imagination. I want you to imagine you were there and you're watching this happen. You heard about this guy named Jesus that promised to start this thing called the church and he was gonna fill these people with the Holy Spirit and you're, it, it's just the church is spreading like wildfire across in Jerusalem and throughout the, um, the Roman Empire. And you're thinking, how, how does this work? And then you hear about this guy named Steve that has a food truck for widows. And you hear that everywhere Steve takes his food truck, the widows are fed, but God shows up and does amazing things. And you just can't help but get really curious and say, man, I want in on this action. And so you finally get to meet Steve one day and you're like, hey, what, what do I need to do to do this? And Steve says, oh, it's really, really, really simple. I follow Jesus. And, and he has sent me and the rest of us on mission for him. And when we do really simple things in everyday ways, he just gets the glory and does what he's gonna do. For me, it's a food truck. I don't know what it is for you, but just, we're just sent on mission. Would you be satisfied with that answer? I think the, another lesson that we can learn from the early church here is really simple. And you've, heard, you've probably heard countless pastors say this before. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. From the book of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, all of scripture, it's just a bunch of screwed up people with messed up backstories that are faithful to God. The only exception is Jesus. He's the only guy that got it right. And guess what? They killed him, right? He's the only exception to the rule. The rest of us are just normal people doing things in and through the power of God. Now, I want you to think about this when it came to Stephen. Stephen hadn't been hand-selected by Jesus, and he wasn't even hand-selected by the guys that Jesus hand-selected. He was chosen by his peers. He was chosen by the church to go and do this thing. He was an ordinary dude that was faithful to this task, and God used him in extraordinary ways. So by show of hands, how many of you would like for God to use you in extraordinary ways? I'm gonna raise my hand on this one. Of course you would, right? But how many of you feel you're just ordinary? How many of you are like me and you feel extraordinary? Like there is, I'm so vanilla. There's nothing special about me. I, I've even said this out loud, God, I, I could understand if you wouldn't want to use a guy like me, right? Now, if you're nodding your head and you're laughing, guess what? You're, you're in great company because that's who Stephen was. He, was. he was just available to go and do this thing. And if there's anything that we can learn from Stephen's story, maybe it's this, sent people say yes to everyday opportunities. That's, that's what we do. That's what we're called to do. We're sent on mission and we say yes to everyday opportunities. And as you read through the book of Acts, it's just normal people doing whatever God has called and equipped them to do for his glory. And, and, and it's always the same. People are pointed back to Jesus. That's the end goal. People are pointed back to Jesus. And when it happened, here's what's really cool. The church didn't just grow a little here and a little there. It went viral and it spread like wildfire. And more and more people were on the outside looking in saying, I want to be part of that. Now, if you keep reading Stephen's story all the way through chapter six and chapter seven, it gets really, really interesting because people get really frustrated with him for feeding widows and for God using him in miraculous ways. Can you imagine? You're feeding widows and God is using you to do miraculous things and people have a problem with that. It says they even begin arguing 
with him. But look at what verse 10 says. Look at what Luke tells us. Even though they argued with him, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him when he spoke. Stephen was just bought into the mission of doing his thing, and he trusted the Holy Spirit to be with him everywhere he went all the time, knowing that the Spirit was moving on, on his behalf. And, and I think all of us need to be encouraged by that. Because let's be honest, is it easy or fun to share your faith and talk about Jesus? Does that come up naturally in conversation? Do you get a little shaky when that happens? Of course you do, right? We were talking about this in our small group just the other night about we want to be bold, but it's, it's scary. There's a lot on the line, right? And we get worried about what could or what might happen if we take the risk to talk about Jesus. But what if we followed Stephen's example? What if instead of always making it about a conversation, what if we found simple things that we could do, ways to serve people in such a way that they had to take note and it would give us a platform to talk about who Jesus is and why we follow him in the first place. I mean, I think it's, it's a really good formula, and it seemed to work really well for Stephen. Now, does that mean that if we do that, that life just gets easier and people love us more? Not necessarily. I mean, it, it's just not a popular thing to talk about Jesus or to, to love Jesus or to follow Jesus, and, and things didn't get easier for Stephen either. If you keep reading his story, if you jump to the end of Acts chapter 7, those people that were arguing against him, look at what verse 57 says. They all rushed at him. Now, he had taken some time to carefully explain to them why he followed Jesus and why he was doing the things that he did. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, I want you to think about this. We're going to talk more about this guy named Saul next week. But do you know why I think those people took their coats off? It's kind of hard to throw rocks at people when you're wearing a jacket. They wanted a little more freedom. They wanted to take this guy down. I mean, it's a really ugly picture of what was taking place. But look at Stephen's response. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kept his eyes focused on Jesus, no matter how the world around him responded. And then he fell on his knees. The rocks are hitting. He drops down. He's getting ready to die. And he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. He was so focused and so passionate about following Jesus that with his last breath, he served the people around them around him by praying that God would forgive them for their ignorance. Just an ordinary guy who stepped up and said, yeah, I'll, I'll feed the widows. What do you need me to do? And he's the first recorded Christian martyr, the first person to die for their faith in Jesus. Now, think about this. He died for his faith before any of the men that were hand-selected by Jesus died for their faith. Just an ordinary guy like me, in you. And, and apparently for Stephen, that was a risk worth, worth taking. And God used him in extraordinary ways to advance this mission. And it begs the question, what ordinary things might Jesus be calling you to do to live out this mission for him in your everyday life? Maybe for some of us, it's leaving work at work so we can go home and serve our spouse and our kids. And it's, it's serving where we, wherever we are. Or maybe you're single. By the way, I struggle with that greatly. 
it's hard to kind of turn work off. I, it's not easy to serve people. I know I'm supposed to. Are you single? Maybe you could use some of your free time to help a single parent in need. Maybe, maybe you could step into their world that might be chaotic and say, hey, how can I help? What, what can I do? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you think, look, I'm just not making any impact on the world. I'm just basically keeping kids alive. I bet your kids probably see it differently. Maybe it's you're reshaping what it is that you're doing with your life. Maybe there's a menial task in the office that you could do that everyone else avoids, but as you do it, you're trying to open up a conversation to talk to them about Jesus. Or there's a neighbor that you know needs help, but you know they're not gonna ask for help. It's gonna take you stepping in and saying, hey, I'm gonna do this thing for you. And here's the thing about everyday tasks. They're not glamorous, are they? The news crew isn't there to catch you doing this task that nobody else wants to do. In fact, people might not even notice that it's getting done, but that's not the point. And what we see in Stephen's story is, is there's a risk here. If you pass on the ordinary, you risk missing out on the extraordinary. If we pass up ordinary, everyday things that no one else wants to do, we run the risk of God using us in extraordinary ways, ways that only God could use us. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is that a risk we're willing to take? Because living for Jesus is risky. Stephen proved that, right? There's a risk on this end, but there's also a risk on this end of not being, not being on mission. And so who are you serving? Because sent people serve people in everyday ways. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's been a really, really difficult week for our church family. Late last week, um, a young mother named Kelly, 32 years old, died unexpectedly, leaving behind her husband, Todd, and their two kiddos that are one and three. Todd and Kelly moved to the north side of Indy in the fall of last year. They quickly became part of the Genesis family. They joined a group. They started serving on the host team. But over the last several months, they had major health issues, both of them. But Kelly's health issues really started to limit her ability to keep up with the pace of everyday life. And thankfully, that's when many of you stepped in from her connection group and other people on the outside. Some of you began to uh, start a meal train and, and bring them meals on a regular basis. So that was one less thing they had to do. Some of you offered to babysit their children while they went to doctor's appointments. Many of you prayed for them. And some of you, some of you sat with Todd last week, last Sunday, when he was wrestling with the reality that his wife was gone. And I asked Todd's permission to, to share that with all of you this week. And he said, oh, please, he just wants you to know how thankful, how thankful he is for our church family and the way that we've been able to come around. And it's tempting to want to list off a, a bunch of names of, and thank people. But here's what I know about all of you. None of you want your name mentioned because you know, well, we're just sent people and this is what we do. Like, we don't have to think about that. We're going to stand in the gap when, whenever there is a gap. And so on behalf of our church family and on behalf of Todd and his family, thank you so much. It has meant the world to them. Her mom from out of town was just overwhelmed by our generosity. And so thank you. And I know there's many of you that serve in a variety of capacities on a regular basis from greeting someone at the door, working at the tent, at the cafe, working with kiddos. And I just want to say thank you Thank you for what you do in ways that people will never, ever know to make Genesis a great place. We love celebrating you. It's why we do things like the big main event where we get to say, thank you so much. Go have fun on us. Thank you. I'm not asking any of you to do more. What I would want to challenge you to do 
is make it about the people that you serve. Don't ever show up and just do a job. Serve people because sent people serve people. But I also know that there's some of us here that, that don't serve. And I want you to know, I want you to hear me say this. We're really glad that you're here. We're, we're glad that you're curious about Genesis. But I want to be really bold, and, and I just want to let you know, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that means you've been sent on mission for Jesus. And if you're not on mission for Jesus, I believe that's a dangerous place to be. If you're not bought in, if you're not helping and serving people, it's a dangerous place to be. And I don't say that because I'm judging you, I'm not. I just, I would want you to know it's, it's what he wants us to do. It's what he calls us to do. In fact, you could argue that if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not serving people, you're wasting your time. And you're not wasting your time and that you shouldn't be here because we certainly want you to join with us. But you could argue that when we don't serve people, we're wasting our time because people are eternal. We give our, way to, we give our time away to stuff all the time that has little to no eternal impact. But God created every one of us to be eternal. And when we serve people, we're sacrificing something now to impact their eternity later. And so I just, I wanna challenge you. If you're a sent person, who are you serving? And that doesn't just take place here. It, it takes place everywhere we go all the time. And in, in case you haven't noticed, one of the things that makes Genesis a fantastic church, I, I'm so excited about this. Look around and look at all the young families that we have. And we want to partner with those young families to help their kids come and know Jesus. And so I want you to hear me say this. We say this a lot. We do not have childcare on Sunday mornings. We are bought into this mission of making disciples, and we believe that that happens from birth on. And so when we say, hey, we need people, we're looking for folks to join us on this mission of serving these kiddos, it's not just to give parents a break. It's to partner with them to help these kids to grow in their faith with Jesus, to make disciples at a very early age. And so I want to invite you to join us on that mission. We need your help. We have lots of openings there. Now, if kids give you the heebie-jeebies, I get it. You might need to get over that, okay? You might need to get over that. But we also have a variety of places to serve, from the front door to the welcome tent to the tech team and the cafe team. And here's why I say this. This isn't the only place you can serve. But what I would love to see, what we would love to see what if, can you imagine a future where we had, we were so strong on a Sunday morning that 500 extra people could show up and everything would be covered? If we grew even a little bit right now, you guys, we're not ready. We, 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 we've got gaping holes and we all wanna grow, but we need people to serve. And we've all gotta be in on this mission together so that when we come here, we can send people out into groups. And, then, and I believe when we get strong here on a Sunday, we can start to have a major impact out there. When I say out there, I mean like right down the road or, or over to the, the apartment complex. But we gotta be on mission together. And so if, if, if you call Genesis your church home and you're not currently serving, I wanna challenge you today to take a connection card. And I want you to write your name and your contact information on it. And I want you to give it to me, Steve, Danielle, whoever, Connor, Michael, whoever you see, Beth, We'll follow up with you this week and we'll help you find a place on mission because sent people serve people in, in really simple and everyday ways. And there's just no telling what God could do if we were all on this mission together. Now, I bet you're like me and there might be a little voice in the back of your head that says, yeah, I know, I need to do that. But I was just hoping it would be something bigger. I was hoping it would be something a little more glamorous. Aren't you glad Stephen didn't do it that way? 
I mean, it'd be really easy to say, yeah, they're widows. I mean, they can take care of themselves. That wasn't Stephen's approach. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was available. And if there's anything we can learn from his life, sent people, serve people, sent people say yes to everyday opportunities. And when we do that, what, what does God do? God does what only God can do for his glory and people get to know Jesus and the church grows and expands and disciples make disciples and we get, to, we get to be a part of that. Who wants to be a part of that? Of course you do. Let's pray. Father, that's what we want. We wanna be known as a church that is on mission for you, Jesus. And we say it, and, and I think we are, <clears throat> but when it comes down to it, we need to be like Stephen. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and available. And those, you can do anything with those two things. You did amazing things through Stephen. So would you help us today? Holy Spirit, would you breathe fresh life into our church family today? Would you help us, every single one of us, myself included, to step up and serve in ways that are big and small so that, Jesus, you would be glorified, that disciples would be made, that the church would continue to expand and grow and, and Lord, we, we, would love to, we would love to see growth. We would love to see people, more and more people coming on Sunday, but even that's not the mission. The mission is for us to send people out. So Holy Spirit, breathe your life into us. Help us to say yes to ordinary opportunities today as we leave, as on our way home, when we go to work this week. Give us new eyes to see opportunities to serve for the glory of your name, Jesus, so that eventually we can have a conversation. We long to see your kingdom come, Jesus. Would you use us here and now? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.